Peggy 18. You ride the lightning instance or something um, and have it sitting on top of LND, for example. And then from there, you, you've got your lightning and your on-chain and you can kind of move them and manage them as you see fit. Or you can set it to be automatically managed as you see fit. And yeah, it takes a little bit of learning to understand the trade-offs you're making and the choices you're making in setting it up. Absolutely, it does. But once you've got it set up, it is very much hands-off, like you're looking for. Um, so long as your computer can be online once every two weeks or you can configure a watchtower, which is pretty easy, you know, you're set. Hey, Fitch, sorry, I'm just talking to Motorboat. I'm trying to get him on the, the lightning bandwagon. Oh, I thought we were going on the ARC bandwagon for some reason. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know enough about ARC yet. Oh, it sounds interesting. It's basically like a coin join implementation of Lightning, but somewhat yeah, it's better. Well, but it kind of relies on ARC as the coin join coordinator, is that right? Or is everybody a coin join coordinator? I think anyone can be a coin join coordinator. So it's kind of, but you probably are going to outsourcing it to a third party because like no one wants to be running their own uh coin join co coordination thing because there may be liability to that i don't know okay um probably so while i'm still here i would just like to take this moment to beatbox <laughs> all right hey uh I'm going to go use the restroom, and you guys can kick me out of the speaker position and edit all whoa, this. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I was promised beatboxing. <laughs> nah, you're just playing that from the speaker. That's That's <laughs> cheating. <laughs> It's too good. You gotta pretend to be worse than that. I'm sitting on the beach and listening and hey, get me off already and get this thing going and talk about Bitcoin and everything. Oh, we I thought we oh my goodness. All right, fine. How how does one kick some move to audience? There we go. <laughs> we did it. Congratulations. I'm a little envious of your beach. I mean I was just on the beaches of Bitcoin Beach and Bitcoin Jungle, and I'm I'm wistfully missing for them. Yeah, which one um, was which one was better in your opinion? In my opinion, like based on my own priorities, sure. uh, I liked Bitcoin Beach a lot better. Was it just like the culture, or like what what was the what was the distinguishing thing about it? In Bitcoin Beach, Bitcoin's saving lives. In Bitcoin Jungle, Bitcoin's enabling egotistical expats. <laughs> That's a pretty good explanation. Yeah. Wow. I guess there's a similarity in, in what you wanted to talk about, too, in that there's like, there's corporate Bitcoin, uh, which is like maybe not even Bitcoin, but there's, there's a bunch of people who are kind of trying to monetize the space. And they can't monetize Bitcoin because Bitcoin is just Bitcoin. So they they start they start like becoming middlemen just to like just to earn a buck or to like further the corporate capitalism. Of oh, our... that's the whole space. Yeah. Everything yeah, that yeah. you could describe as crypto is what you just said. It's a middleman inserting itself unnecessarily where they don't need to be for profit. Mm hmm. Whether it's like Coinbase or any of these exchanges, I don't mean to single out them, uh, or whether it's any of these like all the traditional mixing services and like, yeah, uh, even these coordinators like Wasabi, hmm. um, all the federated actors like, you know, in Liquid and, and Blockstream's products, um, it's all just centralized service providers at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting too, because we have a tendency to call out the what people think are Bitcoin companies more often than, than like say the shitcoin scams. Cause they, they kind of speak for themselves, the Celsius, the block the, they're kind of You'd think, look at how many victims they yeah. had. Do they speak for themselves? I don't know. Well, yeah. Okay. Good point. Maybe, but I feel like they get called out enough by other people, but like no one's calling out strike block stream or a lot of people are it's just most of them are doing it with misinformation like for for a decade now people have been calling out Blockstream and 
shit, but almost all of it is totally misinformed, hateful rhetoric from shit coiners that are just pissy, want to want to piss in our tent. But there are legitimate criticisms to be had of of these groups, and also there are are really good Bitcoin companies out there. I, I think that a good place to start might be just defining what an example of like a, a good Bitcoin company is. Centralization isn't bad. What Bitcoin enables, however, is is like really low trust companies. You can have things like um, I was just talking to Motorboat in here before you arrived about how Lightning is a liquidity market, and uh, one business operating on there is is Lightning uh, Loop, and it's it's a liquidity marketplace uh, that you can access through the Lightning terminal that they've got set up. It's like an application suite on top of L and D, and you can you can buy and sell with very low trust lightning channels and, and liquidity and things like this. Um, low trust businesses are what Bitcoin enables, not middlemen. So as soon as like somebody's inserting themselves as a middleman, to be arguably fair, this is kind of what CoinJoin implementation coordinators are. They're kind of low trust middlemen. You, you need them to coordinate the transaction, but they can't steal anything. They can only ever really like deny you service. Um, but that kind of thing, that that's a generally a good Bitcoin business model that relies on the trust reduction properties of Bitcoin, and that's good. A bad model, a bad model would be one that, say, relies on the trust of a custodian, um, like, say, the way that Strike relies on shitcoin custodian uh, Prime Trust, which is, I mean, they're a shitcoin custodian that's responsible for, as far as I'm aware, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of shitcoin liabilities and Strike's Jack Muller's babies operations are part of that. That that's not a Bitcoin business model. That's a traditional business model where they're a middleman, right? Uh, that's not in any way benefiting from Bitcoin's unique properties. And another, I'll give you another example of of a not Bitcoin business model is one that's uh, a federated trust model. These can be Bitcoin business kind of models when they're say about a business. Uh, that's Bitcoin treasury based or uh, is delegating trust through the internal structure of their company through Bitcoin keys and access to money of their treasury through scripts. That can be a Bitcoin business. But when you're creating, for example, corporate shitcoins for pay through your federated trust model, that's obviously that's not a Bitcoin related really anything. So that's I mean, that's kind of what liquid is. So that's good examples and bad examples. And sometimes the same company has good and bad examples in their products themselves of like ways that they're centralized middlemen and ways that they're offering competent products. It's kind of a, a mixed bag out there, but most cases it's it's middlemen and it, it's a fucking shit show. Sorry to ramble on infinitely. <laughs> no, I like your rants, but uh, I think uh, it's, it's, I don't know, like liquid... Liquid, I'm probably more favorable of than maybe Strike, because Strike is is pretty much entirely centralized. It's it is a middleman. It's just selling Bitcoin. It's an exchange, but maybe it's a good middleman. Like, is it a good actor in this space? Um, as as far as I've seen, it's what a, is it's, a good actor? Mm, what yes, what do we yeah. think a good actor would well, look like? Intention and also what kind of rhetoric they're using. Does the rhetoric follow the intention? And are their actions following the rhetoric, if that is good rhetoric? Absolutely. Um, I agree yeah. with that, the actions and the rhetoric. But specifically, when I'm talking about rhetoric, I, I want to be talking about these Bitcoin-specific properties that enable companies to enhance consumer rights, basically, is what it comes down to. Um, you know, you as a, a user of these companies should be empowered for reduction of risk. For example, in a non-custodial Bitcoin exchange, which Strike is not, and well, part of that is apparently due to regulation in America. Like it's pretty much really hard. To oh, 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 oh. Mm-hmm. hold on a second! Hopefully. I'm not going to accept any argument from anybody okay. that there is more regulation in not holding your consumers' money than there is in holding it. And if that is the literal case, something is fundamentally broken. In America, I don't believe that that is the case. That's ridiculous. The counterpoint to my point, I, I'm I was mistakenly trying to make, is that there is, um, well, Bitcoin is deploying in America as a non-custodial option for buying Bitcoin, so that might be happening and might be 
a good option that's even better than Cash App or Stripe. Well, that would be amazing for them. Yeah, like if they can do it. Um, but again, it's like it's a state by state like regulation thing. I'm not an expert on regulation in America, so. I'm not either. Well, I mean, in some states, I've had to become quite familiar on how it has been in recent years. But other than that, generally speaking, like holding people's money and, and engaging in financial transactions with their money on their behalf mm -hmm. requires way more regulatory diligence yeah. from even just your bank, let alone regulators. Like your bank just wants to fucking know more mm -hmm. than if, if you're not being a pass-through entity for that money and you never touch that money. Not touching that money is like way, way, way better from every perspective. Yeah, this, this brings to mind, there, there was a report by like FATFA, the regulation recommendation body that's not even in America. It's kind of like a... Well, it's a body of like 200 plus organizations. And this is yeah. through which, you know, the global monetary policy of the West is enforced on other countries. Yeah, it's like a pseudo like IMF, but for regulation or something. And they... Yeah, this is how like global <laughs> sanctions are enforced is through FATFA. Yeah, they came out with some kind of report saying we, we want KYC on all ATMs in America that are selling Bitcoin and there's we we don't want any loopholes in this regard so like i i imagine the non-kyc exchanges are very much in line with that kind of model of being an atm operator but like virtually basically so i wonder if if they're gonna get the same treatment and we're in the same category um i don't know america is just a fucking shit show when it comes to regulation well, Canada's really no better. I mean, we saw one of the better actors in space in Canada, Bull Bitcoin. They're a non-custodial exchange. They do things like coin joins with Wasabi. Um, they have lightning out of the box, things like that. But they were lobbying for additional the KYC regulations because they used to be lower KYC than they are currently. And, and their owner, Francis, he was lobbying for it. And was when, when the regulations came out for FinCEN or TREC, whatever, registration, he was on the Vanguard kind of promoting and like, oh, no, this is a good thing. Bitcoin's legitimate, legitimate now. Look at how little we had to give away for this, you know, kind of shit. So, like, I absolutely think that there is a will, as you described in FATFA, and, you know, the U.S. Treasury Department's constantly making proposals. There's a will to impose total KYC, an almost total KYC implicit layer on Bitcoin just mm -hmm. through global legal regulation. There's a will to do that. But because we have things like, you know, teleports on the horizon, we've got BISC, we've got coin joins, we've got our own lightning swaps. I mean, like, lightning swaps are really cool. Robosats. Um, Robosats is a good one, too. Robosats is another one. Although, again, centralized entity. It's more like a dark web service, almost, you could describe it as. Um, yeah, we've, we've got lots of options in, in the event that such a layering or a ban happens, which is, I mean, effectively the same thing. It's saying that you can't use your Bitcoin somewhere else, but the reality is that Bitcoin's fungible, and it's like you can't, by nature of it, really keep track and ascribe of whose is what it's pseudonymous by nature a transaction doesn't actually mean what you know you might naturally think it implies that like money moved from one entity to another could be that no transaction at all has to apply uh, that money is in a channel and the owner of that money ended up with a completely different utxo so like that's that's just how Bitcoin works. You can't track it. There's no taint. And governments will eventually realize that. Right now, they're kind of in the dark on the details of how this works. Honestly, for its entire life, Bitcoin, it seems most people are kind of behind significantly details of how it works. I know like you and I must feel this as well, Fiat. I know I feel it where it's like we feel like we're lagging behind yep. the spear tip of development. Like I, I constantly feel like I'm trying to catch up with what even like layer one Bitcoin is. And then we've got all these other fucking layers that I have to understand. So it's it's just like a constant game of, of, of catch Absolutely. up. Absolutely. And there's so much. So like on. what about everybody else? Like what about the people oh, yeah. who aren't even aware of the game, let alone oh, yeah. catching up? Like I mean it's people crazy. 
and we're talking smart people. We're talking like policymakers. Some of them are, in fact, smart, believe it or not. They had to be really smart to abuse enough people to get to where they are. Um, same with CEOs. Uh, same with academics. A lot of really smart academics don't understand Bitcoin at all because, like, it's a lot. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, guys. It's a lot to keep up with. Like, even if you were just doing it full time, it is so much parallelized development. Every volunteer working either in public or the dark on whatever the hell they want, whenever the hell they want, good solutions, bad solutions, building businesses, building FOSS, it's, you can't keep up. You just, you've got to just keep learning what you can as is important and necessary to you everywhere you can and forming communities like this so that you can, you know, learn from, from others. So this, this brings up a thought I recently had this week was like, I think it's called Bernoulli's law. It's like how there's so much, it's it's easier to create bullshit than to audit that bullshit and to disprove that bullshit. So, yeah. and that, that is totally the case in Bitcoin land as well. You've got a ton of developers who are brilliant, who can come with up with a bunch of proposals and there's multiple ones, for example, for covenants. And we don't have enough auditors if in my my impression is we don't have as many eyes looking at these things critically and understanding them critically so it and this is not just just about covenants it's about the nature of bitcoin itself and the development environment it's like we're probably going to keep doing these small upgrades or big upgrades um soft forks until we find out that one was not a good idea and then we're gonna ossify Mm, i don't know we've already done a couple that were you know maybe ill Mm -hmm. ill formed i think ossifying in general like bitcoin started ossified it said like these these are the rules this is the monetary policy like this this is it yeah you can you can change it you can change it for yourself but like it's the most fundamental principle is like Bitcoin is 21 million coins. It's the monetary policy. We could change it. Anybody could change it. You run your own node. You can change anything you want. But like I, uh, we began ossified. We are ossified. This, this struggle where updates take like five fucking years at a time and tear the community in two <laughs> and are dramatic personality conflicts and the end of the freaking world this is what ossification already looks like it's done it's happened it's our lives that's my perspective on ossification i think it i think it can happen even more than it is already because right now the doors open for upgrades that are within consensus rules um so that that path that door is open until we fuck up considerably with an upgrade and think so yes because the blowback will be be um we like developers maybe will get some blame here they fucked up we therefore can't um do an upgrade for another like another upgrade for a very long time at least that would be a totally wrong conclusion to make well, the right it, conclusion it would to make be, would be like we didn't verify true. <laughs> we need to verify true, but the, not, the thing is we need to take time That's, we, that's need to, we are nodes, we're in control <laughs> well, we, we don't mm, get to be mad at other fucking people yes, for upgrades yes we do, we do, we do no, and people we are, they're not, they're not we rational get to be mad at they're idiots liars for lying <laughs> We get to get mad at liars for lying and con men for being con oh, men, man. but we don't get to be fucking mad it can at be the both. outcome of what our nodes decide. It can be both. No, that's just, it, you, yes. you don't get to be sovereign yeah. and not responsible. Well, you get to pick people, one or the fucking think, other. Bitch. I don't think that there's a lot of node runners who aren't sovereign and aren't responsible. So, and they outsource Yeah, no, that's that. absolutely true, but you're not one of them. You run uh, a fucking maybe. node on like I, a <laughs> Pentium 3 processor <laughs> well, Windows okay. malicious. I, so I, like, don't but, tell me you don't run a node. Let's be honest here. I do outsource a lot of my, like, my, my thoughts about this stuff to more knowledgeable people. And I use my instincts mostly on where things are 
I, and my verification is, is light compared to a lot of these other more technical people who can actually dive down the math. So everybody feels that way though. Oh, Every yeah. single person feels that way. It's brutal when you realize how dumb you, you could are. be saying <laughs> that and you could be in the top 5% of people that are doing verification. And you, you could still be saying that because you'd feel that way because there's, you see all these people above you that are doing more work than you to verify. That's somewhat comforting actually. <laughs> like uh, you've got this bias based on, you know, your own limitations and you don't know others. Hmm. Anyways, it's just, it's a thought process I had this week and it, it kind of relates to a lot of our other conversations and I thought I'd get it out there. I don't know. It's, it's all interesting. I think that you should take a level of verification and diligence that's appropriate for you. And only you know what that is. The trick is, Fitch, is you can't let the inclination to not do work, to be lazy, because it is hard work doing all this setup and even thinking about it to not do work and to discredit yourself and say like oh i can't do this this isn't in my skill set like i'm better at other things like no you you didn't know how to drive a car until you knew how to drive a car you know how to do this you're a competent individual like anybody who can do basic shit like cooking can can secure their wallet can verify the code that it came from can choose the code that they run and have a competent idea of what choices they're making and what the repercussions of them sure, are like, for important and, things like their money. Yeah. And like, I will just not use an upgrade or a soft fork if I don't feel comfortable with it. And like, everyone that's else, the right course of action. Everyone else has that option too. Um, so it, it's, but you know, it's, it's hard to predict what can happen sometimes. And I'm leaving the door open for the unknown. And I, I kind of like that because it keeps you on your toes. <laughs> it is really hard to predict what can happen. And I really abhor things like the speedy trial that we had for Taproot because I feel like uh, pe people don't even understand what Taproot is now, let alone what it was at the time of the speedy trial. I know that devs do. I know that you and I have a better idea than, than most probably. But at the end of the day, most people still don't have a comprehension of mechanics, the things that it makes possible. Like, yeah, it makes shit coining possible, whether through abusive syntax or not. Like, all of these things, like all the Covenant scripts, like they're going to make not even possible. It's already possible. It's always been possible. Like, whether we, it was things from like Counterparty before or RSK now, or, you know, even shit like Heather was built on fucking bitcoin and omni and all the bullshit like this isn't new stuff but it's gonna get easier and more prolific and cheaper and that's inherently a consequence of we want to write more complex scripts for ourselves to help us reduce trust between parties that we want to be cheaper and more accessible too so it's like it's double double-edged sword you as a node runner get to decide like do you want those things with taproot we decided yeah we want those things i personally wanted those things so my my node was for it in fact i was ready to uasf for it um did your node want those things did you know what you were buying well i was running a uasf client as well for taproot because why not and i didn't I didn't know that these things were going to come with Taproot or be more cheaper with Taproot. I guess I, mm, okay, maybe I did know that a little bit, but... You knew about Mast, you knew yeah, about how but through the, the... But it was sold as, um, maybe no one will do this. <laughs> like, and that was the hope. Um, my hope was like, uh, maybe this will, I don't know, open things up a little bit more and and become a little more private because it sounded like Schnorr was going to be a privacy feature for on-chain Bitcoin, which I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's a fair trade-off. I can, I can see that benefit and I'll accept the cost. And right now we're just Math seeing... surely is. Well, Mast is a huge privacy benefit. Yeah, we're just seeing the cost at the moment and we're not seeing the benefit of Taproot and hopefully we do see the benefit eventually uh, with whatever rolls out is it is it that you don't see the benefit because you aren't using yes, it yet? yeah like as a user i see i see all the shit coins um in my mempool <laughs> which you can um which you can filter if you want um but i don't i don't are you using lightning 
Sure, but like because a lot of lightning scripts have moved to Taproot. Taproot. Oh, really? Scripts, yeah. I I'm not aware of that. Maybe I am using Taproot and I just don't know it. That'd be great. And see, like that's I think how a lot of people are going to end up using it is without even knowing it. Same with probably descriptor wallets and things like that. I'll have to ask that question. Um, see if my my lightning implementation is using using Taproot or not. I I like Mast a lot. Uh, if you don't know about Mast, Mast is Merkleized abstract syntax trees. I don't have anything in front of me. I'm just doing this by memory. Uh, and basically, what what Mast allows you to do is you take like a a Merkle tree of your script and its execution paths, and by only needing to publish one branch of the tree, the branch that executed. Um, you can you, you can just publish that branch to be your script for the Bitcoin that you're you're transacting instead of the entire tree. And so like you gain privacy benefits in that all the other ways that you could possibly have spent this Bitcoin uh, aren't visible in your script sigs. Well, that's really cool. Um, it kind of like and we just got mini and it's smaller and it's smaller, right? Like it's way smaller. So it's way cheaper. Oh, really? OK, cool. So we, we also just got Miniscript in Bitcoin Core 25, which was just released today. Um, so you can play around with that. But uh, there, there may be some, some ghosts in the machine there because we talked about this uh, the, in the last episode where Ledger had a bad implementation of Miniscript um, that can burn, burn, your co burn your coins. So just be careful if you're using it. Um, but it's, it's an option in Bitcoin core 25 now. So, um, that is kind of related to mast as well. Right. Uh, yeah. As far as I understand, well, cause you're writing taproot scripts. Yeah. Cool. It's like a taproot script will form these tap leafs and they're what form the basis of mast. Yeah. There, there was even a talk, um, by Andrew Polstra recently where he's on stage and he's talking about um, Miniscript. And he was even kind of like, oh, there's some there's some unique math problems still in Miniscript, some edge cases. So he, he was kind of inviting mathematicians to please come and audit this thing um, with him. So it's kind of interesting. I wonder if there's some some fun stuff. Was it Miniscript that Trezor was implementing that they had an issue with? Or oh, was, was it Ledger? It was Ledger, yeah. They had, it was Ledger. Yeah, they, they ended up burning some coins if you sent it to the wrong um, script or something. So was, Right, yeah. We talked about this on a previous one, if I recall. Yeah. Uh, and then just on top of that, Trezor did something too. Trezor had like a physical security breach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's like inherent in their devices. Yeah, on their most recent yeah. one, the Trezor Model T. So their their like their best model of Trezor got hacked again. And this isn't the first time. I think Kraken did the first one or someone someone yeah, else. The, the infamous fifteen minute hack. Yeah. yeah. So if you have physical access to a Trezor, a hacker can get into it within fifteen minutes because there's no secure element on a Trezor. And they refuse to have one. Um, and their reasoning is we're aware of this hack and we're going to keep building our hardware wallets as they are. So, like, Trezors are like just, they're like physical Bitcoin that anyone can steal. If you, if you, have, if you have access to a Trezor, you can get into it. <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's crazy yeah. the number of like, engineers and CTOs of hardware wallets. Like I get into this with the Bitbox CTO constantly. Mm -hmm. uh, he's like, it's it's an unlikely attack factor. How likely is it that somebody has your physical hardware wallet, your, your Bitbox, your Trezor, your Ledger? And like for that reason, it's not worth considering as much. And I, that's fucking crazy. That's fucking crazy. Do you know how many people put targets on their back with their like online activity 
it's so easy to get someone's physical address now. And I mean, like, well, that's not even considering things like government attack vectors. And that's another thing. Every single one of these hardware wallets from Ledger, Trezor, Bitbox, Jade, whatever, um, it's very clear that the government, if the government wants to subpoena them for their keys or the privacy information you leak to them, like, they will give it. They've made that abundantly clear. Yeah, and even Ledger said as much. It's like, uh, yeah, if we get subpoenaed, we're probably giving up your keys if you give them to us. Um, and then Ledger was also hacked um, with like their full customer list, including names, addresses, phone numbers, mm-hmm. email address of 250,000 customers. So that list is out there. And like you, you can just, you know go around each house as a burglar or whatever find their treasure and then just hack into it (laughs) the thing you're missing fitch is that physical security doesn't matter and an attack there is very unlikely that's the part that you're and if you were an expert like me then you'd know that because i'm the cto at a hardware wallet company I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah, nor should you. Nor should you. That's it's crazy. it's em- it's embarrassing, Bitbox CTO. It's embarrassing. And yeah. you know, it's it's amazing because all of these things that the public's afraid of, you know what stops them? An air gap and <laughs> auditing the data that you transact across it. And that's the other argument that I get from the Bitbox CTO as well as other hardware wallet manufacturers like the Ledger CEO is that an error gap doesn't protect you from anything. Yeah, it does. It protects my personal information, my privacy from leaking to you. I can make sure that there's no way that that data is crossing the air gap and ever ending up in any way that you can see it. And it protects things like my firmware, my keys. And even if you did somehow manage to social engineer me to put malicious firmware I didn't understand there, I'd be able to see what the fuck it was doing as the data crossed the air gap. I'm protecting myself from the very abuses that have caused this kind of PR disaster and are possible on any hardware wallet. Any hard wallet or wallet can have malicious firmware. Cold card, anything. Absolutely anything can. Whether it's the hardware you roll your own, that's why it's really important that you air gap, that you audit the data that transacts the air gap, and that you redo this work on independent devices to check it where appropriate. Doing these things, you will be incredibly safe. And there's nothing that, you know, like hard firmware from ledger whatever and their push process for who the fuck has a push process for bitcoin hardware firmware fuck off like you just you protect yourself run an air gap verify the data that goes across it don't fuck around and to be clear what what an air gap is for the uninformed it's basically what it sounds like there are no cords um you have an offline device with no connection to the internet it's connected to a battery You sign um, a transaction with that device, but via an SD card, you save the signed transaction on this SD card, and then you transfer this SD card physically to your online computer. So there's no cords involved, no data communication involved with this movement of data. It's an SD card that moves from one device to the other. Typically, you can use other media if you want, like uh, a CD or um, QR code, QR codes, um, NFC, NFC, I don't like, but yes. Um, and so it's just, it's a physical barrier be- of between your private keys, which are segregated on the offline device that can never does and never has to connect to an internet connected device and therefore you know there's no there's no private key leakage whatsoever or there shouldn't be so and there's no it's also an isolation of the communications channel Mm -hmm. by either doing it over like say if it's sd you can then say independently on another airdropped computer read the sd cards device and see what's on it and see what what the firmware is writing to it, whether it's writing transactions that make sense. Uh, you know, like I always verify my change addresses to make sure that they've been correctly computed. Um, 
just you, you verify everything. You verify that the amounts are correct. You verify that the destinations are correct. You just verify that it is executing your will as you expect it to do. And there's like very, very little room for it to attack you because it, it never has access to an online capacity or the ability to send unaudited information to or from an online capacity. Cool. So I will, I wanted to say kind of two things about this. There's because of the ledger blowback recently over their ledger upload your private key to three servers service that you pay $10 a month for <laughs> like Netflix, Netflix for your private keys. <laughs> that's such a horrible idea. Fuck, they saw Casa and Blockstream getting away with it. They were like, yeah. Oh, this is a great idea. Why don't we just oh, hold all of them? Terrible. So, so there's, there's a blowback around that. And Trezor apparently has like a 900% increase in their sales because of this. People, there's not just Trezor and Ledger in this hardware space. I know they're, they're old names, but please look elsewhere. Cold Card's a good one. Seed Signer's also a good one. But there's They also... can't use those because they're shitcoining still. Yeah, okay, good point. But for your Bitcoin, for, for your Bitcoin hoard that you want to keep for a generation, use a better device because shit, shit coiners out there that are using your ledgers and your treasures and bouncing back before them between them like a ping pong ball. Uh, why do you think that there isn't a secure device for your shit coins? Why do you think that while Bitcoiners have been air gapping their shit since before your shit coins existed in like 2012, you don't have even a hardware wallet solution that's built for it yet? Is it possibly be because nothing about your security model makes any sense and it's all just kind of theater used to trick you into buying their scams? Could that possibly be anything to do with it? The answer is yes. And the technical reason for this is because the hardware and the firmware on that hardware is trying to support multiple shit coins with different implementations and code bases at the same time. And it can't do it for individual ones. So it does a, like a segregation of all of them and it makes a lot of compromises by doing that. And that's why Bitcoin only hardware wallets are better in security they could absolutely do it if they wanted mm. to i mean entropy is entropy have it so that you know your your hardware device is just it takes a seed and then feeds it through the cryptographic processes of all these shit coins that don't fucking do anything and it's just that's your root seed, which is kind of what i don't know there's there's one shit coin wallet that kind of does that on like a master fucking hot wallet level and by doing so makes it completely fucking pointless but yeah yeah, this there's a way to do that. They just don't. They don't do anything because they don't think about the fucking engineering of their products. Well, they don't need like to. You have like CBDC a, people. You have like nobody thinks about it. You have a huge swath of shitcoin crypto investors in quotes, and they are very uninformed and uneducated about these nuances, and they just bounce between Trezor or Trezor or Ledger, and it's just they're they're never going to learn or some of them eventually do and for those who eventually do go to seed signer cold card or crux or an open source bitcoin only hardware wallet go that way please and air gap it air gap it doesn't yes. even matter what you even if you've got like a shitty wallet you can still set up you know electrum and uh, a, a computer that's just dedicated to nothing but being offline and connecting to your shitty wallet and keep that air gapped and then you've got an air gapped ledger treasure you you can do that that's a thing yeah so if if you don't want to buy a new hardware wallet you can still use your ledger but without ledger live you can get rid of their um for their software that's spying on you and their node that is spying on you and so you can set up your own Bitcoin core node on your uh, desktop or wherever, and you can connect that to an open source software wallet, which is like Ledger Live and acts like Ledger Live. And one of these is called Sparrow Wallet. You connect that to Bitcoin Core and it can communicate with your hardware wallet, your Ledger hardware. And then you have these three 
pieces of hardware and software working together for a better setup than Ledger Live and your Ledger hardware. It removes Ledger Live entirely. So those three things, Bitcoin Core, Sparrow Wallet, and your Ledger hardware bullshit, you can have those three working together and you're somewhat better off in a security model than using Ledger Live and the Ledger hardware. Absolutely. And again, to take that a step further, add an air gap. Take your computer that's just got Sparrow or Electrum and your Ledger wallet and keep it entirely offline. Don't don't let it touch the internet. Sign your wall your transactions offline, write partially signed Bitcoin transactions, PSBT files, and move them manually to your online computer with the node and publish them there. I'm not aware if you can do that with Ledger or Trezor. But well, you can maybe. do it with Electrum. And uh. if you can do it with Electrum and Ledger as just the signing device, which you can do with Electrum as far as I'm aware, huh. then you should be able to run Electrum like it's a normal Glacier Protocol, Yeti Cold-esque air gap, except for using the Trezor as a like hooked to the air-gapped computer signing device. All right, there you go. So Sparrow and Electrum... They can replace your Ledger Live software and be a Even if you option. do it online, yeah. you, you want to do what Fitch is saying. You want to yes. replace your Ledger Live software because it's leaking your, your public keys. They know all of your transactions. When and where and how much. Um, and also these third-party open source software wallets, Sparrow and Electrum, their code is publicly available and audit auditable. They're open source, so people know that they're legit. And when you're using Ledger Live, I believe their software is closed source. So you don't even know what's running on that piece of software on your desktop. It could be doing a lot more things than you know, just because it's a black box. I don't know if Ledger Live is closed source, but their firmware is. Yeah, for sure. the firmware on the hardware is. And Ledger Live is full of, like, as far as I'm aware, they've got all these third-party integrations as yeah. well. So it's not even just Ledger you're, le you're leaking information to. Well, it's, it's a bunch of, like, people Ledger does business with. Even if it's open source, can I build Ledger Lives from source and verify that it is open source? No, I don't, I don't know. think so. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, answer it. the question right now yourself. Let's <laughs> do. do it. Let's... Okay, let's, let's find out. Is Ledger Live open source? Let's go through... Let's go down this rabbit hole of how to verify. Ledger something. Live, GitHub, Mono Repository. Yeah, I can build this. Really? What am I building? Ledger Live, Ledger HQ Live. Mm. There's 51 releases. There's a mobile one. It looks like I can at least build some of their things. Maybe you can build like a a light weight one. It doesn't have all the features, but all the ones that are important. I see a lot of this is to offload the work of shitcoiners adding their shitcoin support to Ledger for them. So, I mean, there's that. <laughs> It's not the best look. Yeah, I'm just scrolling through the issues. Lots of shitcoin issues. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of what they do. I imagine that's almost all their code is just shitcoin related. I don't think that this is the whole thing. No, there's something else, I think. You have to download it from their website, maybe. I'm just going through the readme. Yeah, I've done the README. Yeah, oh. no, I think I think that I can build all of this. Really? Huh. Yep. Yeah, I can build Ledger, Ledger Live here with these instructions. The contributing instructions get me where I'm looking to go. So yeah, Ledger Live looks like it's open source. There you go. So it's not so bad, as long as you build it from well, source. Oh, no, it's quite bad. It's quite bad because like you're you're still using Ledger Live. Like let's. Yeah, and it's 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 sending data to their corresponding servers. You're going to be leaking your X pubs for sure. Mm -hmm. 
And for everyone who don't know, XPubs are basically um, all your Bitcoin public addresses, even the possible ones in the future that you will be using. So you are basically leaking all your past, present, and future Bitcoin transactions with your wallet when you use it with Ledger Live. It's not great. It's kind of, it's very privacy compromising. It's better to just keep the things local, run them on Bitcoin only software that you've audited, that you've run yourself. Xpubs are always going to be exposed though to online contexts. So like there's, there is the possibility in any air gap setup that your XPUB gets compromised because you use your extended public key information to uh, instruct transactions from the hot side of this scenario. So without that, without the XPUB, you you wouldn't know where your inputs were. You wouldn't be able to assemble them into a transaction, sign for them, or you still can't sign for them because you don't have the private keys. You've only got the public keys, but you can assemble a transaction and you can say, please sign this. And that's basically what the whole air gap publicly signed Bitcoin transaction process enables and is about. Interesting. Blop is saying in the comment, um, he seems to remember a warning in the source code saying that you cannot compile it yourself and flash it. It's partially open source. So there's no such thing as partially open source in terms of hardware security or software security. For yeah, Bitcoin, if if it's partially open source, it means it's there's some little black box in the code that can be doing anything, and you don't know what what it's doing. So, so yeah, if you want to use something like that, use it behind an air gap so that you can you can analyze whatever it's doing. It's just safety, and like like I said, Bitcoiners have known this forever. It's. Uh, it's all this marketing from companies, the same middlemen that we started talking about. All of these companies have an interest in making money off of you, and they know that you're worried about security. And they'll tell you whatever it is they think you want to hear and give you a good enough solution to convince you that they've done the job. And you won't know until it fails whether or not they're telling the truth. So verify yeah. Run all of these things in an air gap. Like, understand what the hell you're buying. Eliminate the shitcoin attack vectors. This isn't that complicated. It's safety and it's it's practicing the muscle of verification. Because if you don't exercise this skill of verifying as much as you can, as much as you, um, when available, then it, it it's kind of like not following a best practice in this in this ecosystem. And maybe you don't have time, uh, but if you do have time and you, you should give yourself the opportunity to learn how to verify and do it as much as you can, uh, just because that's, that's what this is kind of all about. If you can't verify that Bitcoin is Bitcoin, that you own Bitcoin, then what? there's really no point. It's kind of like you're going backwards. Once a year people once a year is all you need once a year go and check your backups and practice verifying that they're still working practice your recovery process at minimum just at minimum make sure once a year that your coldest coins still work and you still have them and learn something set once a year and be like i'm going to learn about the new wallet types that have become available in the last year I'm going to see see about these descriptor wallets that I hear people talking about. I'm going to see about a Taproot wallet and see what that's about. Once a year. Once a year. That's all I'm asking of you. Just once a year, set aside a day and grow and secure yourself. That's all it takes, honestly. It doesn't take that much. Do you want to go down the descriptor wallet rabbit hole for a little bit? Because I know we talked about that earlier this week and how, you know, BIP39 seed words where you have like 24 words. This is a standard that is more recent than the older standard of private keys, public keys. Um, Of BIP32 HD wallets. Yes. And are those descriptor wallets? 
No. Okay. No, a descriptor wallet is a wallet that describes the script that is used to unlock sets of keys. And it contains a list of those descriptions. And they are not 24 words. They are different. <laughs> They're Correct. like a file. They're more of a file structure, right? At the moment, that would be like if you wanted a list of your descriptors from Bitcoin Core, you might get it in like JSON or something. And yeah, it would take the form of like the type of, of wallet it is, a uh, description of the script of the wallet and the keys in that script. And that would be the description. And then from there, you could any anything derived from that description, you could unlock. So that's like a wallet structure. So functionally, they would be more similar to HD wallets in how they were they're kind of used and handled by end users. Like it's like backing up a wallet dot dat file. Yeah, kind of. I guess at the moment you would consider it more similar to a, a BIP32 kind of structure, which honestly makes sense because like nobody except for the public devs haven't haven't adopted BIP39. The 24 or 12 words like it, they don't we don't like it. It's it's a bad bad standard for a lot of reasons. First being that it's I mean it's in English. It's not standardized across, like, we're a global thing here, guys. You can't just be making protocol standards in English. Uh, and it, making one for every freaking language isn't a solution either. That's ridiculous. Um, who there's, you know, concerns about entropy requirements being non-standardized. We've got non-standard algorithms. We've got fucking, like, LND uh using az we've got electrum doing their thing like it's it's just a non-standardized mess and so for a lot of reasons while it might seem to the end user oh this is great i only have to remember my 24 words that's kind of a lie you're being lied to that's not what you need to secure your coins you need your 24 words you need the algorithm or the wallet and the version that was used to generate those words. You need your derivation path, which fuck if most Bitcoiners have even heard of what that is. And then you can remake your stuff if you know what wallet type it is as well, what wallet type you're you're making. So it's, it's like they, they've kind of made it an oversimplified lie about what you need to recover these things under the assumption that people will either emulate how a given wallet has done it or that you'll continue to use the wallet that made the keys. And we see this kind of in practice when you've got websites like uh, walletsrecovery.org that just exist to kind of chronicle all the different ways that you have to recover from each different wallet. And it's like lists of dozens and dozens and dozens, right? Because... Yeah, I'm just looking at the website here, and you can see that each kind of hardware wallet, there's Bitbox, Kobo Vault, Jade, uh, Cold Card MK1, 3, 4, Cool Wallet, Ledger Nano. They all have similar standards. 84 slash 0 slash 0 seems popular, but some of them are different. Um, so this is... Uh, necessary information you need in order to recover your wallet eventually um, yeah but see you don't need that information it's part of the information in the descriptor in a descriptor mm -hmm. wallet it's like a descriptor wallet takes all of that information that you aren't keeping track of and puts it in like a line in a file and it's one of many is the idea because unlike how people probably mostly use wallets today, whereas you have like one script you're executing. All of your transactions are the same script. There's a future where you have all kinds of scripts in your wallet, all kinds of ways that you unlock your coins. And you, at the end of the day, need one thing to back up that represents all of those different ways that you unlock coins. So, so you're saying there's going to be multiple um, paths and scripts, like, there's going to be... I'm saying that's what a descriptor wallet is. That's oh, absolutely shit. what it is. Okay, cool. So that that's going to be way more dynamic than just, you know, one script path that you get with, like, a hardware wallet. Um, absolutely. Interesting. It, it'll be... Yeah, it's, it's a multiple. It's N different kinds of 
descriptions of of your scripts that get keys and the private keys that secure them so like okay so bip 39 is not future proof <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be like you're you're gonna have a lot more options with um descriptor wallets and maybe you're gonna be using them without knowing that you're using them and you're used to doing stuff with bip 39 Hmm. Okay. This could be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a shock. It's going to be a huge amount of work trying to undo the damage that over eager, simplistic UI devs have created by using BIP 39 and making this like the standard that people are used to because well, there's all the existing problems I talked about where people are given like kind of a misleading idea of how to secure their coins and then a proper way to secure them for being misled already about what's required like seems overburdening yeah it seems like it's so much more work well because well, it is because this is the work that you should have been doing the whole damn time <laughs> those are fair points and those are ux issues i think they can be overcome and learned i'm more interested in the fact that there's non-standard entropy entropy being used that like that blows my mind that's and annoying. worries me like because that's, that's annoying that's like a little that's a little window that's open that uh, that scares the fuck out of me. <laughs> I don't know if it should scare you. I mean, it you does. could verify your entropy sources, but the non-standard. Sorry, I'm yawning. I'm tired. Um, yeah, the non-standardization of entropy is a weird issue. Oh, um, like it's all about. I like the scripter wallets. Yeah, like I think it, we should use them. And th those are those are in Bitcoin Core, right? Right now. Yeah, they're in a bunch of stuff. They're in your cold card. Oh, really? Okay. I got to yep. check that out. Cool. Yep. Uh, descriptor wallets are sweet. Get used to thinking about things in this new kind of format and manner. It is, it's important for the directions that many people, myself included, see Bitcoin evolving. And this includes like Mast, Miniscript, um probably other stuff eventually if you want it's just all the dynamic ways yeah. that people can write a script to unlock coins you know boiling that down to a single thing that you can back up and track is important and i mean if you if you want to it is a seed hootsome it's a it's a it's this well i mean if you wanted to back it up in a descriptor wallet on a metal plate right now you could do it by going into Bitcoin Core, telling it to output your descriptors. You'd end up with some JSON, and you you could stamp that JSON into a metal plate. It would not be nearly as clean or error-proof as your BIP39 stamp, and it would be longer. But you could do that. You probably want a laser engraver for that instead of a stamper. <laughs> Yeah, or like QR engrave it, or but yeah, it it will be a non-trivial, and even as a QR, like it'll be a fairly large amount of data. I don't know, depending on how many descriptors you have, if it'll come close to reaching the what two and a half thousand kind of byte limit, but yeah, uh, descriptor wallets are the future. It's for some people, they're gonna feel like they have to do more work in backing up and they that's probably going to be a true description for some of them and that's going to be because they just haven't been doing the work that was necessary already and just to functionally give a an example of how these can be valuable inheritance planning of your bitcoin you probably are going to be using a descriptor wallet masf or miniscript because you want different spending paths being triggered with time locks and whatnot. Um, say you're not spending your coins for, I don't know, a year, um, then maybe there's an automatic transaction that happens from your descriptor wallet to your son or daughter, because the assumption is you weren't there to stop that transaction because maybe you passed away. And so this is yeah, it's of, like a dead man switch. It's, it's a, a dead, dead man. It's not automatic, yeah. but like it becomes automatically spendable after a certain block height or time. Right. And th which is interesting because that's kind of how Lightning 
works in terms of penalty transactions and whatnot. So time locks are fun. Time locks are really interesting. I, I was interested in reading about how, because you've got these two different kinds of time locks. You've got CLTV and CSV. And check sequence verify CSV is about block height. And check lock time verify is about timestamps. It's about the actual time. Um, and so because you've got these two things, you can kind of make a Bitcoin contract that hedges against, say, a hash rate going up, like an insurance against increasing hash rate. And you can do this in the form of, like, say, um, if your check sequence verify, if the block height reaches x before certain time then you know that the hash rate has gone up and that execution path can pay the miner an insurance bounty against an increasing hash rate yeah jeremy rubin came up with this and and made a mailing list post about it recently i think uh, yeah it he did and it's interesting um and again that just goes to the conversation we're having about all the interesting things you can just do with time locks yeah, I was looking at that. I'm like, mm, there might be like some game gamesmanship you can do some some weird stuff because there is some time allowance between uh, a timestamp being accurate and I think is it two days? I think it's two days of like of of uh, kind of like. I don't think it was two days. I mm -hmm. told you what it was uh, not too long ago in the channel. Here, let's see what it was. I assume we did it in this channel. No, it was a it was a matter of like two percent or something, or two hours or something. Yeah, so you have to kind of keep in mind there's there's some um, variance you have to allocate for if in terms of these contracts, like you have to allow for a two percent um, variable, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that is what it came down to, is you needed to allow for a 2% variance in the uh, CLTV time stamp being abused by miners that have an interest in abusing you. So, so I'm a miner. Why would I do this? Am I hedging like my oh, hash because, rate? What, a, what am yeah, I doing? Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're, you're getting insurance against the hash rate going up and you making less money. Oh, interesting. Okay. So if the difficulty is adjusting upward too fast, I can like, I do some kind of contract with these um, time locks and I'm basically betting that the hash rate will go up a lot more beyond what I'm, I'm bringing online for my own hash rate and therefore I can hedge my, maybe I'm falling behind in my hash rate and the network is going up too much kind of deal. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an insurance, so you're kind of betting against yourself, as with all insurance. You're like, I'm a miner, I'm hoping that everything goes well, that difficulty keeps staying low, that I remain profitable. But, like, what if difficulty skyrockets? That would be really bad for my business. I don't have new miners incoming hmm. right now. Um, I, would, I would suddenly not be able to pay the electricity costs for my miners. What I can do is I can enter one of these contracts that says, well, if suddenly we're making blocks way faster than time is elapsing that we expect that it will pay out a set amount of Bitcoin that is in the contract. So I can see mining pools playing with this product and reselling it to miners um, because the mining pools are, are a little more sophisticated, I think. And yeah, I could see them being yeah. the service providers on these contracts. Interesting. Cool. So he... <laughs> it's weird everyone's starting to sell insurance like ledgers selling insurance on your keys by uploading your keys to their servers let's and... <laughs> see what's the trust model see that like bitcoin yeah. should be a revolution in trusts, and it should include low trust insurance and this is an example of very low trust insurance the money is on the blockchain you gain the control to spend that money if certain conditions are met there's nothing in between you and the money. Well, I don't know. Like you. the mining pool is acting as a middleman for the end user miners in this case. So that is that is a bit of a trade-off. And I see that happening with pools all the time. Is like, how do you as a as an individual miner verify what's what the fuck is happening in a pool? 
And it's hard, man. Like it's it's really fun. That's hard. why we need Stratum V two for so much. Is we need Stratum V two. We need miners setting the block templates. Yeah, agreed. Not pools. Agreed. But I mean, all the incentives are wrong for that. But much as as all the incentives are wrong for that, all the incentives are against like a miner, a mining pool that wanted to fuck with one of these contracts is foregoing the profit of blocks and risking getting a chain spent that's long or a chain created that's longer than the chain they're withholding. It is a huge, huge, huge risk to attempt to attack one of these contracts in any meaningful way as the mining pool the the economic force of bitcoin and the reward system of bitcoin that sustains their business they'd be putting that at risk that's interesting that's a huge deal so there, there's a big topic about minor extracted value that's been coming up in the discourse recently and maybe this could incentivize the other like going the other way of making things more stable in terms of mitigating MEV, just from what you just said, that's a random thought I just had. Keep talking. I'm I'm re-upping. <laughs> gotta gotta level up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where to go from here. But uh, interesting. Guardian has a comment here. Time locks plus geo dispersed multi sig. Yeah, that's a really good that's setup. That's the way to do it. Yeah, time locks and air gap it as well. That's pretty cool. That's a good way to yeah, store, store your stuff. And then not for all your storage, just your like really, really, really cold storage. Like you, you just like you have bank accounts for different purposes. Like Motorboat was in here talking about, you know, having like they've got an account for savings and kind of checking. Like you got different accounts with different accessibilities for all the different things you want to do too. And you should secure them differently because the amount of money you take out in your back pocket as you're walking around a creepy alley is surely different than the amount of money that you want to retire with. Yeah, here's a here's a pro tip for that, for geodispersed multisigs. Uh do not hide it underneath a tree. Trees fall. Uh but boulders, really large like ice um from glaciers like those really large boulders that never move those are good landmarks <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm very cautious about using natural landmarks even like well like yeah yeah Lot, lots of keys and and spending conditions are good yeah i'm just saying like you don't want to plant your seeds in ground that's gonna move <laughs> i don't really want to plant my seeds in ground at all if i'm being honest <laughs> send it into orbit <laughs> <laughs> that's how i i bet elon stores his multi-sigs he he has it like on all these satellites like all all those um star what are starlings they're they're all seeds <laughs> they're all like shards <laughs> I think they burn up in orbit, don't they? Well, that's the point. It's like you just need five of a hundred or something. I don't know. That's probably a bad setup. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the guy who's launching the 15 satellites that day can steal your keys. (laughs) Uh, Well, I think this one's about run its course. I think this is a good one. Yeah, it's talked about a lot of stuff. If anyone has any comments or questions, uh, now is the time to ask. Otherwise, we'll be wrapping up. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Random Impromptu Brimstone and Bitcoin Beers with me and Gnome. Um, and marijuana. And marijuana. Coffee as well. Inebriants. <laughs> Have a good one. Yeah. Cheers, everybody.